Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us and hope you are staying warm. Hard to do in many parts of the country this uh, week with all this uh, polar air blasting through the country. So uh, hopefully everyone gets through it okay. Be careful, be safe, and thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day here with Adams on Agriculture. We'll be talking markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. We'll talk about the government getting going again and what they're doing with reports and as far as bundling them together and getting the information out, we'll go over all that. Plus, with the talks with China this week in Washington, D.C., how the markets will be viewing those and what reaction we may see. We're going to talk a lot of ag issues with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, will be joining us on the program today. We'll talk about trade and uh, um, government getting going again and the importance of that and getting uh, services back to farmers in rural America. So we'll be going over a lot of those issues coming up on today's program. And we'll be talking with Will Coggin with the Center for Consumer Freedom. Uh, he keeps a close eye on the, some of these animal activist groups like PETA and HSUS, and we'll get updates on their activities, some things to uh, be aware of. That's coming up a little bit later on in the program. But joining us right now is the National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters, Jarrett Renshaw. Jarrett, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Happy to be here, Mike. Well, the government getting going again, that means what that clock starts ticking again for EPA to get things done for E15 sales this summer. Where do you think they're at? Can they make up for lost time and still get it done as they say they will? Yeah, at this point, I think, uh, Mike, we're going to have to take them at their word, right? They, um, you know, Wheeler sat before uh, uh, the committee a few weeks ago and, and said that, you know, we could still do it if it ends shortly. Um, it sounds like we're within that time frame of ending shortly um, thereafter. And uh, I guess, you know, the only <laughs> the only wrinkle could be in three weeks, where, where are we at? Um, is there another shutdown? It doesn't seem like that's where we're headed. Um, but uh, in today's news cycle, who knows, right? Um, but as we said today, I think uh, I think uh, people can be reassured that E15 will uh, the rule will be in place and finalized prior to the summer, and then watch the legal fight pursue, right? Yeah, the key will be um, how that legal fight works out. Can they go ahead and implement E15 sales even while there are legal challenges going? That is the uh, the million dollar question, right, Mike? So I think uh, you know certainly the the oil industry is going to ask for a stay, and it's going to be up to a judge um, um, to uh, to to either deny it or or approve that stay. And uh, you know I, I think the oil industry will, will probably have a good case to make, you know, because we're talking about a lot of investments and things like that that people would have to make. Um, and if uh, for some reason the court did strike down the rule. Uh, you could uh, you could make the case that there would be irreparable harm to to to, to people that made those investments. Um, so it, it will be something to watch. Also interesting to watch is we see that the American Coalition for Ethanol uh, has sent a letter to senators encouraging them to secure tangible documentation on a couple of issues uh, very important to the ethanol industry. Uh, before voting on EPA Acting Administrator Andrew Wheeler in their confirmation votes, uh, finalizing uh, a legally defensible RVP rule that would allow E15 use year-round, as we've been talking about, and reallocating ethanol blending obligations uh, that were waived in 2016 and 2017 with those uh, small refinery exemptions. So uh, interesting that... uh, Again, the ethanol industry is keeping this front before they vote on Andrew Wheeler. For sure. And, you know, I think that strikes me as an effective strategy. I'm not so sure, you know, Wheeler's going to uh, give, give, give that, um, that group what they want. Um, but, you know, we, we saw with Pruitt, I think there was, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, second-guessing, obviously, um, amongst uh, senators who backed Pruitt um, and his commitment to uh, the RFS. Wheeler suggested that he's given some indication that he will uphold it, but 
you know, the reallocation thing is not something that he's signed on to. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the senators are going to have to be satisfied with those answers if they support Wheeler, because Wheeler, you know, Wheeler has not said that at this point is not given any indication that reallocations in the cards. There's a there's an incentive or a reason to give less waivers. I, I think the biofuel community would sign up for fewer waivers and no no reallocation. Um, but that's just me. I, I think if that was the case, so maybe that's the trade off. Yeah, that's the big question to see uh, how that will play out and whether or not they will accept that. We'll be talking with uh, uh, ethanol industry leaders here in the next uh, few weeks more about that issue, certainly. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Uh, Jarrett, what are some of the other energy uh, issues right now, things going on that we should be aware of that impacts all of us? Sure. Well, well, one that impacts the, the ag industry today, uh, I don't know, and I, I'm still trying to get up to speed on it, but there was some uh, news that moved overnight that uh, the Europe, Europe is going to now be accepting soybeans for fuel. Um, I'm still trying to figure out uh, what the import uh, for that is for the soybean industry here in the U.S., but uh, on its face it seems like a, a, some good news for an industry, industry that needs it. Um, you know, more broadly speaking, we're following uh, what's going on in Venezuela, right? Uh, the, the Trump administration just imposed pretty strict sanctions on uh, Venezuelan crude oil. Um, U.S. refiners purchased Venezuelan crude oil, and not not a ton of it, but enough to uh, kind of uh, mess up with the logistics of that. And we have uh, Venezuelan-owned refineries in the U.S. So, you know, they're still we're still trying to figure out what all this means. Um, it, it ultimately, it may mean higher gas. Um, for your listeners, um, higher gas prices, at least in the short term, um, as the uh, uh, industry figures out how to how to deal with these sanctions and exactly what it all means. So uh, that's the news we're following today. When you're talking energy, these things can get complicated, right? And when you're trying to trace everything and track it all down. Uh, and then you're talking about, you know, opposition governments and who controls, mm-hmm. you know, state-owned uh, and oil companies I always say, could you imagine that the U.S. Uh, uh, oil market or oil sales help fuel Social Security or uh, your Medicaid or Medi- Medicare? You know, uh, there would be riots in the street if it went down to ten dollars a barrel, and you had to cut all those, those all those, um, all those uh, uh, plans and, 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 and safety nets. You know, and that's what happens in these countries. They, the, the oil revenues fund social programs, and when those revenues run dry, or there's people pilfering in them, then there's no money for social programs, and ultimately the people suffer, and I think that's what we're seeing in Venezuela. All right, Jared, thanks a lot, and we'll stay in touch. Talk to you again soon. All right, take it easy. Jared Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. All right, coming up later in the program, President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, will join us to talk ag issues. Will Coggin with the Center for Consumer Freedom will be joining us as we'll take a look at the activities going on with HSUS and, and PETA, some things we need to be aware of. And also coming up next, we'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone with the government back up and running. We'll talk about reports and a number of releases. And we'll also be talking about the talks this week with China. Also a reminder, Thursday and Friday of this week, I will be in New Orleans for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention, broadcasting from there Thursday and Friday of this week. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. (laughs) I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 855-801-2854. 855-801-2854. That's 855-801-2854. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I pressed the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, good to talk with you again. Uh, so we have the government back up and running, and they've made some uh, decisions on how they're going to handle reports missed and ones coming up. Uh, give us the latest on that. Well, the uh, NAS reports, which are the survey-based reports, the winter wheat seedings, quarterly grain stocks reports, the final production estimates, those are generally released with the January WASD report, will be with the February WASD report on February 8th. So that January report, known for its data surprises, amped up by another month of having no data, so February 8th could be even more volatile with even more potential surprises within that. We're seeing reports that the Catalan feed report for January may be issued that day as well. Still haven't got the details on the cattle inventory report. Um, and when we're going to get the bulk of the export sales reports, although the daily export sales reporting did start up today. So we are slowly getting back up on that fundamental information. Yeah, it, um, it's been interesting to see how they ramp things back up and get going again. Hopefully it can stay going and we don't go through this again uh, three weeks from now. Yeah, absolutely, because we could see another shutdown on February 15th. At least we would have that critical data behind us if that happens. Uh, also, all the uh, requests for the, the subsidy payments uh, due to the, the trade war with China um, farmers have until the 14th, I believe it is, to get those in, and they have the window of opportunity for that. So hopefully we can get a lot of business done between now and February 15th. Meanwhile, talks this week in Washington, D.C. with China. Uh, are the markets anticipating uh, some big news or some good news out of those, or how, how are they viewing these talks? I don't, I don't think the market is expecting a trade deal this week, certainly. Uh, what I think it's expecting is the possibility that uh, China, trying to sweeten the, the load, so to speak, would start talking and maybe coming in with some more good-faith uh, purchases of U.S. agricultural and energy commodities. And that's why they're reluctant to hold short positions in the market, just in case China does that. I think the market's also expecting uh, the U.S. to focus more on the structural issues while China tries to focus on the commodities. Uh, they made that uh, one big offer uh, to buy a, a trillion more in commodities over the next six years, and that was really showing their hand that they're willing to throw their farmers under the bus just to get a deal that doesn't include them having to deal with the structural issues. 
and uh, that's what they want to avoid. They'll make promises on the structural issues, but not if there's enforcement measures attached. And uh, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin emphasized again this morning that that's one of their priorities is to have enforcement as part of the trade deal, and that's going to be a big issue for China. Of course, there are some outside issues now uh, kind of impacting this or potentially impacting the talks, and we'll wait and see how that plays out. But I'm wondering if we're not on a course here, Arlen, where there are just enough you know, things here or there. China's buying a little more here, a little more there, just enough that we can get, what, to March 1st, and uh, the president can say, hey, they've made big uh, uh, concessions, we've made some gains here, got some victories. Uh, we've got more to do. We'll keep going, but there's been enough done to force to move forward, and both sides kind of claim some sort of a victory. Do you see that kind of being a, a possible scenario here? Well, that is a possible scenario, and I think one of the keys is, is I'm convinced that China is not going to give in on the structural issues if there is enforcement uh, attached to it. Uh, based on our calculations, the structure of China's economy and what they're doing we could bring China to its knees on the structural issues probably if we went on for eight years with this. Um, president Trump will not be president for eight years. We know that. It'll be either two or six years. Um, and so that becomes difficult. If Europe were to join in with us, we could probably cut that in half in four years, and that would be a possibility. But Europe's economy is not strong enough to, to withstand that type of a battle, nor do I think they have the will to do it. So then the question comes, how far is President Trump willing to push this? And, of course, he has to worry about his reelection campaign kicking that off soon. So at some point, both sides need to come to a win-win agreement, at least that looks publicly like a win-win agreement. I do think that if there is any type of an agreement, it will be good for commodities because China has shown that it's willing to give on that in order to avoid the structural issues. Uh, it to me and now it comes down to where is president trump's line in the sand yeah a lot uh, a lot at play here and a lot at stake we're talking with arlen suderman with intl fc stone arlen uh, what should we be watching with this situation in venezuela well certainly the big impact uh, that we see first and foremost in the markets is is the sanctions on the crude oil uh, they have a heavy crude oil that we bring into the Gulf to the tune of about a half million barrels per day to blend with our supplies um, and uh, make the desired product that they're looking for. That can still happen, but the money does not go back to Venezuela. So I think that'll be part of the key is is whether Venezuela continues to send us the oil without payment or not. Certainly they need the money. It's about $11 billion per year that oil toward the, the Venezuelan government. And uh, so if that could tighten up supplies here if they shut it off. If not, then our supplies remain, and it's simply a hurt on Venezuelan finances. Meanwhile, what should we be watching? Uh, what are you hearing from your people uh, in, in Brazil and Argentina? Well, we're expecting our team to give us. I'll be talking to them here shortly this morning, uh, our weekly conference call. We're expecting them to give us an updated production estimate here in a few days on the first of the month on Friday. We're expecting it to be a lower estimate once again. Uh, we're continuing to see disappointing yield results. The question is, will it be enough to make a difference? Ordinarily, we'd say yes. But based on uh, what we're learning out of China on the reduced demand for soybeans, we, USDA could currently be overstating Chinese demand for soybeans by 10 to 15 million metric tons or more. And so as I looked at my balance sheet this morning, we could see Brazil drop its production estimate another 13 million metric tons or so and still not really give a positive impact on the U.S. balance sheet. So that's a real concern, largely because of drop in demand in China. You know, it's uh, you never want to uh, plan on some kind of weather problem as part of your marketing strategy. But sometimes you have to wonder when you look at the streak we've been on with the production in this country. Can we continue that, or we do some type of um, uh, you know big blip in, in production? Uh, we've talked a lot about acres. We don't see as big a shift away from soybeans as we once thought. Uh, how do you see this playing out here domestically this year as far as production and price? 
well, assuming normal weather, which is what we have to do going forward, uh, I think it's a real concern in the near term. I mentioned the problems of reduction demand in China. It's largely because hog producers are liquidating their herds, afraid of African swine fever. So hog feeding is down about 15% nationwide. And that means that as we get into the last half of this year, they're going to have a dramatic shortage of pork. So we should see exports of pork out of the United States really start to pick up in the last half of this year. The market had been anticipating it sooner, but as that happens, that starts strengthening the demand. That starts strengthening demand then for more soy meal here in the United States. That will help start to absorb some of that. But in the meantime, over the next six months to a year, we have a tremendous surplus of soybeans, and the market's job in that situation is to discourage production. If weather doesn't do it, then <clears throat> excuse me, then the market has to do that. And to do that, we need a much lower soybean to corn price ratio than what we currently have. And uh, still friendly on corn? Uh, cautiously friendly on corn. Here again, it comes down to does China buy or does it not buy? We've heard various rumors of it buying. We have no confirmation of that. Perhaps we'll get some when USDA starts releasing back export sales reports. At this point, we don't. We know that domestic buyers would like to buy it, but they're afraid to do so yet, and the tariffs make it difficult. But still, they could buy, the government of China could buy U.S. corn at the Gulf, freight it over, blend it with their 2015 corn reserve, and make money on us doing so. So we see some positives there. Even if they don't, we still need to buy a million or two acres, which is probably what we'll get if there's not a significant reduction in soybean acres. So I think it kind of holds... Um, the market in a situation where there's not much margin for error going into 2019 growing season on the weather front. All right, Arlen, thanks a lot. We'll be watching these talks this week with China. Uh, as you said, probably not a major announcement coming, but everyone will be analyzing every word, every uh, uh, report that comes out of there and trying to read between the lines. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how everyone reacts to it. As always, thanks, Arlen. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTLFC Stone. Lots of issues impacting agriculture. We're going to talk about some of those issues with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, will join us next, coming off uh, their convention a few days ago in New Orleans where the president spoke. We'll get his reaction to those comments and uh, look ahead to these talks with China this week and much, much more. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us, always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Brandon oil seed sector setting up with a defensive tone so far on a Tuesday. The Trump administration unveiled a sweeping set of criminal charges against China's Huawei Technologies Company in the latest shot in the trade battle between the two sides. In the cases unsealed on Monday, federal prosecutors accusing the Chinese technology giant of violating U.S. sanctions on Iran and of stealing trade secrets. The indictments also come as U.S. trade negotiators prepared to sit down with Chinese counterparts in Washington this week. In soybean futures, we're trending two to three cents lower. Trend line support for March comes in at 9.15 and a quarter on this Tuesday. As long as that holds, bean bulls will retain the 
short-term technical edge. An hour into the session, we're hovering near 9.20 and a quarter, down three cents. In corn, the March contract, a fraction lower at 3.79. We see resistance at 3.80 and a half, support at 3.71. For the wheats, four to five lower in Chicago. March at 5.14 and a quarter, down four and a half. Three to four lowering Kansas City wheat, March at 502 and three quarters. March Minneapolis wheat down three and a quarter, 570 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the American cattle futures, we're 30 to 40 cents higher on a Tuesday. Cash cattle, bids, and asking prices will likely remain undeveloped. April live cattle, 127.70, up 32. March feeder cattle up 57 at 144.92. Lean hog futures, the April contract up 32, 62, 65. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 78 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're happy to have with us the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall. Zippy, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Glad to be with you. Appreciate your time. I know you're happy to have the government back and going and uh, implementing the farm bill and uh, some uh, key services that uh, we've been uh, missing here the last uh, several days. We very, very much are proud of that, and, and uh, we're uh, excited about our farmers being able to go in and get ready for this next crop and take care of their um, um, uh, trade payments that they've got coming, come, the mitigation payments they've got coming to them. A lot of things going on in agriculture during off-season, and, and to do that, we've got to have our FSA offices. We would tip our hat to all those employees that uh, went in and helped us during the time uh, without any pay, and and tip our hat to Secretary Purdue and arranging that in a very difficult time and, and doing some things that uh, kind of expanding it where they could do some temporary work. To, but we're so glad they're back, and we, we really appreciate those employees out there in those county offices and the Secretary. Zippy, uh, you just wrapped up your uh, convention here a few days ago in New Orleans. Uh, how would you describe the mood of your members uh, when they gathered there? Uh, what were you hearing from them? Were they anxious, nervous, uh, optimistic? What, how would you say uh, was the best way to describe their feelings and their mood right now? Well, it's a little difficult to be optimistic right now, but I think everybody's still pretty upbeat. Uh, I think they're, you know, we're in that time of year where we're getting excited about planting another crop. Uh, very nervous about trade. Uh, at the time, we were very nervous about the shutdown and what was going on there. So, uh, you know, all in all, I thought everybody was in a, in a pretty good mood considering the, the economy out in farmland. Uh, the president coming in was a tremendous hit to our people. Uh, they stayed on their feet for almost an hour, and uh, and I, I was I was just real encouraged by that. It was a different tone uh, this year. Last year was kind of like a pep rally. This year was more about policy, and, and I heard a lot of, a lot of farmers uh, acknowledging a positive feeling about what the president was saying. Yeah, your members showed a tremendous support still for the president, but he he continues to make it very clear that he he thinks tariffs 
are a good negotiating tool, and he says he likes tariffs. Your members, for the most part, do not like tariffs. Interesting that uh, despite that pretty big difference on something as important as trade, uh, that they've continued to stay very supportive of him. I I think so, but I think that our members think that, uh, feel that when the president has the trade treaties that he is comfortable with and has fixed some of the uh, problems that we're experiencing around the world, especially with China, uh, get some of those problems nailed down and fixed, that some of these trade uh, tariffs will be removed or reduced and uh, back to the point where we've got very generous quotas. Uh, hopefully that, that, is, uh, that is in the works for the future. Uh, so tariffs are, are a tool to be used to fix some of the problems, and I think that's what our people believe this president is trying to do. And, and if that comes true, they will continue to support him. What do you think about the talks this week with China? Are you expecting uh, much in the way of any big announcements? Well, I, I think it's still premature. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get some encouraging announcements. Uh, but, uh, you know, just for them to be back at the table talking and and, uh, and China back into the soybean market has got to be an encouraging thing for all of us. We're talking with Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Zippy, back to the speech the president gave at your annual meeting uh, he did acknowledge the need for uh, workers, farm workers. Uh, and, of course, we're in this immigration uh, issue and uh, the border wall or barrier talk, which he spent a lot of time talking about at your convention. But he did acknowledge, I thought significantly, uh, acknowledge and recognize the need for ag labor. Uh, what are your thoughts on what he had to say and where you see this going now? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, the big, big, the uh, hurdle we got to get over, uh, ironically, is uh, securing the border. Uh, once we get the border secured, and that's the excuse we've been hearing for 10 or 15 years every time we go to the Hill, our congressmen across the country would say, well, we can't deal with the immigration foreign or farm labor until we secure the border. So if they can get across that hurdle and we can get uh, a, a secure border that everybody's confident that it's going to uh, work, uh, then I think then we can start having some serious conversations about immigration reform, and in that immigration reform, uh, we can work about, or talk about farm labor and having a workable program that our people can work through. Uh, I, I heard the, the, the president uh, this time, more than any time, uh, confirm that he realizes we got a problem. And he's gonna he's gonna help us fix that problem, and that is the biggest problem that faces faces American agriculture today. It's our biggest limiting factor, and that's having uh, very uh, good, dependable labor on our farms. What are you hearing from your Farm Bureau state organizations that are along that border? How do they feel about the wall or barrier issue? Well, they know that a physical barrier, concrete barrier, would be very difficult, and it's, uh, the whole length of the the, uh, uh, the border. Uh, but in certain areas that there needs to be a physical labor uh, a barrier, and then in other areas there need to be high technology to be able to respond to that. I've heard states say, you know, the biggest problem is accessibility to that border. A lot of those areas of the border doesn't even have access to it as far as roads where they can be monitored and driven, you know. So, you know, we've got to be able to access the border and on our side and be able to, patrol it and use the best technologies that are available to make sure that we do that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. One, to control the border. The other thing is, you know, once you put a barrier up in the easy places to cross or get to, then it's going to be more and more difficult for people to get to those other areas, which really creates a, a hazard for the people trying to come and the guys trying to protect our border. Zippy, uh, farmers have repeatedly said they want trade, not aid. But yet we see uh, the latest figures that government payments to farmers expected to hit the highest level in more than a decade because of the uh, trade assistance uh, going out to uh, producers with the uh, this disruption trade with China. And this that number could go even higher if there's another round of disaster aid approved by Congress. So uh, what are your thoughts on uh, where we're at, the direction we're going with agriculture, uh, when we seem to be leaning more on the aid rather than the trade right now? 
Well, we, we do we do want trade, not aid. But I think if we continue on this difficult road with trade, there will be a there will have to take a second look, another look at whether there's another round of uh, mitigation payments. That's not what our farmers want. Uh, we want to be able to get USMCA sent up to the Capitol Hill. We want it to get passed. Uh, we want to be able to, to make sure that our closest uh, neighbors are our biggest trade partners. And then we want to see uh, we want to see the administration go after uh, other areas of trade. We would love for them to reconsider joining back in the old TPP, which is I think it's called the CT CPT TPP. If I got that right, uh, we would like for them to reconsider joining that. And if not, uh, ex- uh, accelerate in a, in a direction to uh, have a bilateral with Japan at least. Uh, and the European Union. So, if we could, if we could get the U.S. Uh, MCA approved on Capitol Hill, uh, move forward with that, uh, and then be able to open up some of those other areas, and of course, try to help and uh, get some success. And the, the uh, negotiations with China would be tremendous for us. But if we don't do that and we don't get it done in a timely manner, they're going to have to reconsider uh, having another payment. Do you talk a lot with Secretary Purdue about that? Yes, we do. We talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about strategies of how to uh, make sure that uh, the, the farm uh, income uh, is, is, uh, starts to incline, uh, decline, not decline, but incline, so we can get that on an upward spiral. And, and you know, the, the strategies of how, get, how do we get a USMCA passed on the Capitol Hill, you know, uh, because that, that's, uh, that's important for us to all be focused on that. And that's why we're talking with our state farm bureaus. We're going to have thousands of former members come through Washington over the next six months, and we're going to be equipping them with the numbers and the information to encourage our, our con- congressmen and our senators to help us move M- USMCA forward. Is the first step, though, getting those tariffs on steel and aluminum on Mexico and Canada removed? That is crucial uh, to the success, even if we got it, uh, the USMCA approved, we're going to be, uh, we're going to, we're going to have an uphill climb uh, with our uh, closest neighbors, as long as those tariffs are there. Whether or not we can get those tariffs removed totally, or whether or not there may be some uh, quota, we don't know what that might look like. But, uh, but, but there are always going to be uh, interference in having a very successful trade. And our, on the commodity level, you know, as long as those are there. And we, we continue to tell the administration that. Of course, uh, our focus right now is just to get it passed through Congress. Uh, and and uh, hopefully the, there will be some work done on the 232 tariffs. So a lot of issues. Um, Secretary Purdue, do you feel his voice is being heard on those issues at the White House? You know, Secretary Purdue, uh, from day one, uh, when the president talked about withdrawing from NAFTA, uh, was on the scene uh, making a difference for American farmers. He has been the voice for the American farmers in this administration and at the White House. Uh, I think uh, the president coming to our convention two years straight, delivering a mitigation package uh, because of trade uh, difficulties, I think his voice has been heard loud and clear and continues to be a very effective uh, voice for American agriculture. And we certainly appreciate him and his staff and his undersecretaries in uh, all the work that they're doing to help us keep agriculture uh, because it is a very, very difficult time on the farm right now. All right, Zippy, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable 
flexible bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, helping us uh, keep up with what's going on with groups like HSUS and PETA, Will Coggin with the Center for Consumer Freedom. He joins us now. Will, thanks for being with us. It seems like things have been uh, a little quiet for HSUS. What's been going on? 
Well, Mike, uh, thanks for having me again, and you're right. It has been pretty quiet, but there's a couple of new developments that uh, should certainly be of interest to people in agriculture. Um, so first off, over the weekend, they put out an announcement, uh, HSUS did, saying that they, they kind of elevated the uh, interim CEO to be a permanent CEO. And this is, this is a woman, Kitty Block, who is a longtime lawyer for HSUS, uh, who had handled some of their international stuff, and she was appointed interim CEO after Wayne Pacelli resigned with his sexual harassment troubles uh, about a year ago. Um, and so, um, so, he, uh, so he was gone. She took over, uh, and now she's been made the permanent CEO. Uh, and so she, her background before HSUS, she's been there for a long time as a PETA. So certainly she seems to subscribe to the same very, very radical animal liberation agenda uh, that Wayne Pacelli uh, prescribed to. You know, PETA obviously is against uh, any kind of animal agriculture. Uh, they're even against owning pets. So, frankly, it would not surprise us at all uh, if Kitty Block had the exact same agenda uh, as PETA did in the long term. Uh, obviously, we all know that HSUS is more strategic about its messaging uh, than PETA is uh, and very good at hiding the ball. Uh, but I think you have the same kind of person uh, at HSUS that you had before uh, from a policy point of view. I think uh, she might be certainly toned down from Pacelli and uh, his sometimes nasty attacks on, on others, and especially in agriculture, but I think you're going to see the same kind of uh, sneaky moving the goalpost agenda going after, going after agriculture. Um, and the second thing along those lines would be that HSUS has now founded a state-level lobbying group in Missouri. Uh, so they have this national group called the Humane Society Legislative Fund, and uh, that gets several million bucks a year to do mostly federal lobbying, uh, along with the other lobbying that HSUS itself does uh, on funding ballot measures and so forth. Uh, and now they founded the Humane Society Legislative Fund of Missouri, and we just found this out yesterday. And so uh, this looks to be a signal for obviously much more engagement in Missouri, but also more attacks on, on agriculture and probably uh, another ballot measure in Missouri. Which again shows that really HSUS is more of a, a lobby group than anything, right? Absolutely. Again, this is a group that runs zero pet shelters, uh, and yet they show you know, these TV ads that are full of dogs and cats. They raise $100 million bucks a year from people who, uh, by and large, are thinking, hey, you know, this must be like my local uh, Humane Society. This must be the national office. Uh, and they think the money will trickle down, that the money is going to help uh, cats and dogs, and, and that's not really where it goes. Do you have... Uh any access to their figures? I mean, are they hurting financially, still doing, still drawing in big dollars, or where are they at? So if you look at sort of over the past you know, eight or nine years, you, you compare HSUS to the ASPCA, and the ASPCA is very similar to, to HSUS and how they raise their money, and kind of there's a confusion between all these local SPCAs that, that might run animal shelters and then the ASPCA in New York, uh, which has a similar name, but much like HSUS is not affiliated with all these local ones. Um, so if you look at their fundraising, so HSUS is pretty much flat uh, over the past uh, number of years in terms of their contributions, um, and ASPCA has gone up considerably. Now, the difference, of course, is that people are actually actively pushing back at HSUS, uh, whereas H- ASPCA does not have the same kind of you know, aggressive uh, lobbying campaign that HSUS does. Um, so if you look at ASPCA's kind of control, you know, certainly HSUS is hurting. Certainly they, uh, they would be much higher today in terms of their, their income. Um, but for people who are who have been calling them out ourselves and others, and trying to essentially educate the public about them, um, so you know, overall things things are pretty good. But you know this is still a group that raises 100 million bucks a year. You know in 2017 they raised a lot of money off the hurricanes. Uh, you remember Hurricane Harvey in Houston and the other ones in Puerto Rico and Florida. So they're still they're still capable of raising lots of money, uh, and certainly they have a lot of big dollar donors now. Or they they they've been having a lot of these these fancy galas in Hollywood and New York to try to get um, a few big-dollar donors who have bought into the more radical animal liberation agenda. Um, so they're still very much a threat, even though I think if you look at the polling and look at the numbers, a lot of people have, uh, have realized that HSUS is not the group uh, that they should be giving money to or supporting. What about ASPCA? Because I see a lot of ads on TV for them. Uh, tell us about that group. So, yeah, they're kind of... They're kind of a question mark. So, you know, historically, the ASPCA has kind of been based in New York and really New York-focused. Uh, but you're right. Over the past 10 years or so, you know, they've really started to uh, expand their and broaden their appeals. You know, they probably raise close to 200 million bucks a year, uh, if not a little bit more than that. Uh, so, they're certainly they're a massive group, uh, and they 
They raise money much of the way the HSUS does. Now, in, in terms of their attacks on agriculture, it's not the same. You know, it doesn't appear to be the same kind of you know, PETA-style people running the organization at ASPCA that you have at HSUS. Uh, so the same kind of radicalism isn't quite there, but there's some, there's some disturbing signs that they might be moving in that direction, uh, and they might be increasing their attacks and, and pressure on agriculture. Uh, but for now, they're, they're not as aggressive, especially on the lobbying side, that, uh, as HSUS is. But does money, if people you know, watch those ads, send in money, does that come back at all, or does that just stay on a national level? Does it ever come back to the local level? So, again, Soria is very similar to HSUS in that regard, in that you know, the, the money is largely kept in New York. You know, so people might think, oh, well, my local SPCA, you know, maybe the money trickles down to them. Uh, by and large, that's not the case. Um, you know, we looked at their tax return a couple years ago, and you know, HSUS, we found, uh, typically gives about 1% of its money to local pet shelters. ASPCA was a little bit higher. I wanted to say maybe 6 or 7%. Um, so it's a little bit higher, but really not much. Uh, so the, you know, they run one adoption center in New York, I believe, but besides that, I don't think they run any shelters anywhere else, uh, anywhere else in the country. Um, and they, you know, the latest grade that they get from Charity Watch, uh, which is an independent charity watchdog, is a C grade. Um, so they spend, I think, uh, up to 40% of their budget on, on overhead. So, again, the ASPCA, you know, it's similar to HSUS. You know, it's, it's a bloated, large charity. They spend a lot of money on fundraising, uh, and they, they really don't run uh, many shelters. Good to know. That's why I always encourage people, give to your local pet shelter. You can see how it's being used, right? Absolutely. Um, Give local is the way to go. All right. Well, thanks, as always, for the update, and we will stay in touch as we get more information, as you get that for us. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Mike. Will Coggin with the Center for Consumer Freedom. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, we'll take a look not only at the trade talks uh, with China, between the U.S. and China, but how do other countries, when they enter into trade deals, how does that impact the United States and especially U.S. agriculture? We'll get into that and much, much more. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.